Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, you had to be there, the crappy quiz and a slight tangent. That's being a football hipster, isn't it? Making up kind of weird names. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. It's so unexpected. It's one of those you had to be there moments. You had to be there. It subsequently genuinely did change everything about my life. You had to be there. Yeah, latest version and latest episode of You Had To Be There on this morning's OTBM. Delighted to welcome to the show this morning, the Sunday Independent sports writer, Declan Lynch. Declan, how are things? Good, good. Thanks for thanks for hopping on. I know this is a, this is a stressful slot for a lot of people because narrowing it down to five is not, not an easy thing to do. Your list, no. I have to say, is eclectic and different and varied. Um, and it's a throwback as well, some of them. We'll, uh, we'll get straight into them because at number one, we're going all the way back to 1974. It's an FAI Cup a semi-final, Athlone Town, your own uh, beloved Athlone Town. Um, in a 5-0 defeat, I think it is, to Finn Harps at Oriel Park. Um, memorable for a number of reasons, this one, Declan. Yeah, um, this was um, such a big event at the time for, for me and for any Athlone Town fan. Um, we were in the Cup semi-final for the first time. We'd, uh, we'd gone up with Finn Harps a few years before into the League of Ireland. So there was a kind of a, the two clubs were kind of on a similar sort of footing, except Harps were really good now. They were, they were very good. Brendan Bradley and Charlie Ferry and players like that. Uh, Athlone were also very good. Uh, this was the team that the following year would, uh, the famous draw with AC Milan, you know, so they were, they were, they were a good side. And, um, it, it was it was such a, a a kind of an event because it was in Oriel Park and uh, I guess the you know there were such it was such a prize at the end of it. I mean the idea at the time that you would have the, be in the FAI Cup final and it would be covered live on television was kind of incredible, right? <laughs> uh, at the time, it used to be a big thrill if you got a little uh, you know highlight a few minutes of highlights on a Sunday night on this RTE sports program that they used to have. Uh, uh, I remember like if, if there was TV coverage down in St. Mel's Park, you know, they'd throw up a bit of scaffolding and, uh, <laughs> you know, build a, a kind of a temporary TV stand and poor Jimmy McGee would have to climb up the ladder and um, and, and do his best for about like three minutes of, uh, of highlights. But to actually sort of be in, on the cusp of, you know, having a full, uh, you know, live... Uh, cup final uh, at, at Daily Mount. It was like, you know, moving from medieval times into into the modern world. So all of these things were um, kind of creating this huge sense of occasion on the day. And Athlone, I think, you know, they'd stayed in the Valley Miscandalan Hotel in Dundalk the previous night. You know, it was a big deal. Everything was being done properly. And uh, we were very confident, even though, you know, Harps, Harps were very good. And everything, everything went horribly wrong. Um, Harps were great on the day. Uh, they went into a 2 0 lead. And at that point, uh, something, something snapped, literally. I mean, Mick O'Brien, the goalkeeper, who, uh, was a beloved character. I mean, Mick, his heart was absolutely in the right place. Uh, he was, you know, hugely fit and enthusiastic and, you know, at St. Mel's, he used to do all this, these complex, um, exercises to keep himself entertained while the ball was at the other end of the pitch. So he was a real character, you know, and uh, 
uh, everybody, everybody loved Mick. And Mick was maybe so upset or so kind of disturbed by what was happening himself that he, he swung on the crossbar uh, at Oriel. And the crossbars at Oriel were not made of the same stuff as the crossbars at St. Mel's, which were kind of steel, I guess. Or We've got something. a video here rolling across the screen as well of, of one of these incidents, I think. So properly breaks in half. Yeah, he just, it, it was literally just, it was a wooden crossbar, I guess, and he wasn't accustomed to it, and it just broke. Uh, and it was just so shocking. Uh, there was a, an announcement, you know, is there a carpenter in the ground? No, this kind of thing. He was playing left fast. back. <laughs> uh, and uh, they, they kind of, the game was stopped for several minutes, and there was, you know, they literally hammered a job together on the crossbar. Uh and and the game resumed somehow. Uh, it did, went into a further decline for Athlone. It, the match finished five nil for, for Harps, but at a certain stage, Mick he said later that he was trying to fix the bar that he saw something uh, that he thought might might sort of fix it. I guess he might have been afraid it would come down again or something. And he, he had another kind of go at it. And again, the whole thing came. So twice came it down. happens. <laughs> okay, now. This was, he was sent off, uh, he was actually suspended for, for a good while afterwards. Um, it, it, it appeared on Saint and Greavesy the following weekend. Oh, brilliant. You know, kind of, all right, Saint, look at these, look at the Irish, you know, <laughs> like our disgrace spread throughout the world, you know. Uh, it was like the worst possible outcome for, for the day. Uh, like I remember going back from the dock that day and, and I don't, you know, I don't think I've ever been as, <laughs> depressed after any sporting event they would you know since I mean I'm permanently scarred by it you know uh, and that was the famous uh, but and it was such a pity that as well it was Nick O'Brien because like you know he would, he didn't let us down on the day like, you know Mick would never Mick was was a, a great guy you know and um, he, he you know it was really unfortunate that it was him of all people who uh who became the sort of a poster boy for the stay of shame? This, that, that was that. this should be a precursor to like you know permanently scarred from us. For, uh, you just named like three sporting events. <laughs> this is our slot for yeah, permanent. I could definitely you had to name. be there. You were definitely scarred from us. Maybe come up with a different name for the, <laughs> for the slot. Um, that's a brilliant first pick, Declan. I have to say, your second pick is is also nostalgic. It's mid seventies, late town. Um, now the late town races are such an important part of the the East Meath culture. Um, but and, and often used as prep for the Galway Festival, I know as well. But it, it's it's a tradition that goes back so so far, Declan. You remember, in particular, um, even one of the horses you backed back in the mid seventies as a kid. Yeah, well, you see, it was the first. Again, I was just a kid. It was the first race meeting I was ever at, uh, and my father brought me along to it. And uh, it's it's a mind-boggling thing that Laytown is still there, and and it was there at the time. It's it's like a pop-up race meeting. You know, that was invent that was has been going for for you know God knows how long a second a century more than that, uh, and it's a full race meeting, right? It's like you know they have, uh, you know, it, to me at the time it seemed always a day out at the seaside or whatever, right? But it was this full race meeting, and it was such a shock to the system. Like you know, you have, um, you know, you, you have you know a set a, a little kind of parade ring. They had. A tote building set up, temporary tote building. Like it had all these sort of usual things of, of a race meeting, um, and including the actual uh, racing on the on the strand when the when the tide is out. Uh, and 
it was like this wasn't my first race meeting. It was such a a, a formative experience because you know you, it was probably the first time I had a bet. You know, it's like probably twenty p or something of the total. And so I remember this horse Bay Tree that won, uh, and the idea would actually. You know, it was free money to be had. <laughs> the backing horses, extraordinary sort of uh, discovery. Um, it, 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 even like reading the papers beforehand, looking at the tipsters in the uh, in the morning papers. Remember the Irish press had a particularly good kind of layout. There was this guy who used to do uh, the form, I think it was called, and had, he used to give one, two, three. You know, he'd, he'd give a, a preview of the race and go, you know, first, second, and third, and. It, it struck me as well that, you know, what a, a, an image of life in general. You know, when you, you read the uh, tipsters in the morning, and it's all optimism and they're making a case for their their selections. And it's all kind of, you know, the, the day is full of possibilities. Yeah. And uh, there's nothing quite like reading those guys on the way home. Right. When, when With the old battered newspaper. Happened, right. <laughs> You now know what, what the day has brought, and and reality has set in again, right? And uh, but I still used to enjoy reading them somehow on on the way home, and just thinking like you know, God, you know, uh, how 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 before, you know that that glad confident morning, no more as 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 we as we uh, you know uh, drive home with the. Uh, with no money. Totally relate uh, to what he's saying it, as well. It, and was, it was fantastic just to just to be at that meeting, and like I've seen it covered by at the races and stuff, who regarded as a great novelty. This you know race meeting on on, on the strand, uh, but it it set me off really. My father used to bring me to race meetings, but there was a, a good friend of mine whose father as well was a big racing man, and he probably I probably went with more to more meetings with him because he was an absolutely inveterate. He was, he was from the north. He was a solicitor from the north, from, from Armagh. And a lot of those guys used to go to, there was a bunch of them used to go to a lot of meetings like Dundalk and particularly Phoenix Park, uh, which would be my next selection, I guess, uh, for in terms of racing. Uh, I loved the park particularly. I, I think it was, it was one of the great losses to our civilization that there's no more racing, no more racing at Phoenix Park. Um, it, it, there was just something about it. It was um, like it, it was a very, very odd track, you know. Uh, it had a very strange finishing post. Like the post, finishing post was at a, at a weird angle stand. It wasn't like head on. It kind of was, uh, you know, at, at, at a funny, at a strange angle. Uh, I, I'm not sure why. Like the stand were literally kind of, you know, the wrong in the wrong place, kind of. But it just gave this kind of unique atmosphere to it. They used to have uh, this very old fashioned thing where you'd have the, um, you know, uh, the, the Artane Boys band or something would play a little, a few toots on the, uh, on, on the, of our, at the start of every race, like you'd see in American films at the start of the race, you know. Uh, and it was just a really nice, uh, place. Also, I, I also often thought that when the Celtic Tiger came in, imagine if the Phoenix Park had been still there, that you could literally just walk up to it from the city centre. It was a real kind of, uh, loss. Uh, even though by the time it was finished, it was mostly it was always flat racing, and it had just like you would have like four and five horses in each race. Now I, I still really really loved it, and at that point again, the, I was telling this this friend of mine, his father was was a really big racing guy, and he would have us listening into people's conversations like we were just kids, you know. <laughs> so he would send us after Barney Curley or someone like that, you know, and uh, just to sort of. 
get the vibe from Barney and see if he was listening, this basically snooping on, (laughs) just to see if he was, you know, muttering anything to one of his associates about what horse might be, might be, uh, you know, going to win this race. Uh, I remember once we were sent after um, Mrs. Magnier, who was the Clem, Clem Magnier, the trainer, his wife was seen going into the tub. Just have a small bed, I don't know, 50p or something like that. And we were sent, there's Mrs. Magnier, go after Mrs. Magnier and see what she's, uh, see what she's backing. And, and we, we literally st- stood behind Mrs. Magnier and heard her, uh, backing her own horse. Right. <laughs> okay. 50p on her own horse. And we went back and th- that horse won. So we felt we had, um, you know, we had done great. We, we had sort of, we almost became men in that moment. You know what I mean? That yeah. we, uh, we had delivered the vital piece of information. I can relate. It was such relate. a great sort of, uh, you know, discovery, all that, the racing. It was like the, all the intrigue and all the sort of, um, just part of the racing itself, which, which, which was great. I mean, the, um, just the bookies at the time, like these Sean Graham, Terry Rogers, these guys who would take really large amounts of money, you know? I mean, they were on the nod that they would be taking like, you know, four or five grand, something like that. And they wouldn't wipe the boards mm. if they got that. You know what I mean? They would, they would take, take and sort of in, um, with the baby, they were seven to four, might become six to four, you know? Uh, so it was great looking at that and just watching, uh, bookies themselves. I mean, I, I uh, sort of would look at these guys and think, what a job. You know, they all seem to have a bit of a tan, you know, <laughs> and uh, they had these big satchels full of money and they went to race meetings all the time. You know, what um, what a life, you know. So uh, that would that, be the, like the Phoenix Fire Woods would always be my my, my favourite track. I never really liked Leopardstown for some reason. Mm. Um it was more suburban or something. I love the Curra. Uh, the Dock was a great track. Um, you know, but, um, but the Finch Park, really, that was, that was the one. Yeah, that, bringing up a lot of memories there and like what Declan is saying about the paper and they used to have these mystical names. They still do like Captain Keen and the Tipster and this image then as the race meeting was just bleeding itself uh, to the, its conclusion to see the, the Irish Independent that one page that was like literally torn out of the paper just like flickering in the wind <laughs> and you look at those selections the crumpled kind of tattered paper that is now no more but had so much optimism yeah. more and great memories as well yeah lovely image yeah. <clears throat> for sure your next pick Declan we're going to 1989 for your penultimate pick uh, the Republic of Ireland beating Spain by a goal to nail at Lansdowne Road this was a qualifier of course for the uh, Italian 90 World Cup um Great atmosphere at this match, I'm told, uh, and, and, and a serious memory for you as well. Yeah, it was an amazing atmosphere. Um, uh, and it was almost like the last time you could, ha- you could have such an atmosphere. I, I went with uh, with George Byrne, the great uh, rock um, journalist uh, friend of mine. And uh, George and I had had been also at at the start of that era, or sorry, the end of the last match that Owen Hands was manager for was Ireland and Denmark. And uh, we were, it was a terrible day. Ireland were beaten 4-1 by Denmark, who were a really good team at the time. And uh, I remember that later that night, we were in the international bar, uh, drowning our sorrows. And uh, Eamon Mac Walsh came in. You know the famous Medjool and Garden Dublin, Dublin and Rare Old Times. That of Shane, isn't it? And uh, we were there, and Eamon Mac Walsh came in, and, and he completely said, uh, Ah, uh, Brian Brew was the only fella that could beat them Danes. Uh, 
which didn't improve our our mood any any greater. But uh, fast forward, and now it's it's it, Euro eighty eight has happened, and Ireland are now looking really good. But there was always this kind of this we just beating one of these teams like Spain, like in in a really important match was always kind of a bit elusive. I mean, that was a, would be a huge breakthrough if we could manage it in qualifiers for Italian 90. And uh, we were on the terraces uh, opposite the main, the main stand. And the interesting thing is, it was, it was just a few weeks after Hillsborough. So the whole world would, a football, like, a, a, you know, the standing on terraces and all that kind of thing would, would start becoming a kind of, um, almost a thing of the past. But there was this really intense atmosphere, almost like almost like a kind of a crazed atmosphere on the day. Fifty thousand people at it, which in itself is kind of scary. And the Spaniards, they, it was really interesting to see it. Like they were disturbed by it; they were put off by it. Anytime any of them would go near the the touchline to take a throw in, they would be shouting at them. <laughs> it was a really kind of frenzied atmosphere. And uh, I remember, like Steve Staunton was out on our side of the pitch, like obviously for the the first half. And he was really good on the day. He was, you know, he he, he was just just come into the side, and you know, we think, oh, here's another kind, Steve Staunton. You know, he's 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 good, and he even was wasn't one of the main players for us. You know, so uh, Ireland scored after about 17 minutes, and. Uh, at the time, we thought it was Frank Stapleton. It turned out it was actually an own goal by by Mitchell, the Spanish guy. Now I call him Mitchell because apparently that's the correct pronunciation. Everybody called him Michelle, but Jack Charlton called him Mitchell, and Jack was right. <laughs> now Jack wasn't intentionally right, but he just preferred to call him Mitchell. And as it happens, as luck would have it, Jack was always sort of lucky, uh, even in this pronouncing Spaniards' names. So it turned out it was an OG, but uh, they, they, the Spaniards didn't take it well at all. I mean, like Utragueno was their big player at the time. He was taken off in the second half and they complained afterwards, you know, saying this was not a football match. You know, the pitch was terrible <laughs> and the pitch was terrible. It was a rugby pitch. Jack used to actually praise the groundsman for <laughs> making it as much like a rugby pitch as possible. Because again, he still portrayed us as this kind of... Uh, you know, um, the underdog up against these uh, sophisticates. Um, but it, it, it was, um, you, you know, the, the, their whole attitude was uh, this had just been, they had just been subjected to this sort of medieval savagery and and it wasn't football, which only kind of increased uh, our sense of jubilation. But it was 1-0. Ireland won that game and that was absolutely, that really was a breakthrough. It was the final breakthrough, if you like, of Jack's team. And uh, they qualified fairly easily after that. You know, it was a great day when they beat Hungary uh, 2-0, I think, a uh, really sunny Sunday. Uh, but there was a sense that they were on the, you know what I mean, they, that, that they were they, they were kind of on the home straight at this stage. But that was, uh, you know, that was big. Yeah, unbelievable. Even reading here, Steve Staunton was not due to start, but Chris Morris, the regular right-back, recovering from an appendix surgery, and then Chris Hutton moved from right to left back to, to accommodate. Staunton, your final pick then, Declan, is another brilliant one. Patrick Harrington winning the Irish PGA Championship uh, in 2007, a week before his first major at Carnoustie uh, in the Open. So this was at the European Club at the, the beautiful British Bay, down in County Wicklow. Yeah, it was, it was odd. They'd almost uh, 
put it on specially for Porrick because it was the week before he before Carnoustie before he, he won his first major mm. and um, like it, it was like a, it was a wee bit like Leighton uh, you know you could want people we wandered up there with, with, like with the kids myself and a couple of friends of mine uh, like who were like five or six years of age uh, and it was like very open and very like it wasn't a huge crowd at it there was a lot of local people and you could just kind of wander around after boring you know it was it was really unusual it's like there's something very old fashioned about it uh, because you know, it, again, it wasn't like a, it wasn't the Irish Open; it was the Irish PGA, uh, which is like so. It wasn't a huge corporate event, but it was at the European Club, which is, which is a great track, really. Because what I like about it is it's very understated. You know, the actual like it, during the, the Celtic Tiger years, you know, you know, all these Taj Mahals were built in the middle of nowhere in these golf clubhouses. You know, uh, the, the luxurious, um, magnificent sort of. Uh, 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 creations, whereas the, the European club isn't really like that. Do you know what I mean? It's it's more sort of understated. It's all about the golf, you know. So it was, it was a great venue. They set it up more or less specifically for Porrick. But even then, like you know, he now he won. Like, he, one thing you get the sense of is how good Porrick Harrington is at golf. There's a kind of a myth that, that like Porrick, he has many virtues and uh, you know he's. He, wonderful attitude but maybe he's not all that good at golf you know <laughs> but he's actually really good right? and particularly his short game you could you know when you were up close you can see just how good he is around the green on links horses and everything which he, of course he demonstrated the following week but even the following week i remember on the saturday before they played in carnoustie a friend of mine saying look he said look look i love porridge but he's just not going to make <laughs> so even then he'd he'd you know, he'd uh, set the thing up. He, he, you know, approached it really well, and he knew he was probably going to win a major. But even they, until he did it, nobody really believed him. But it was really enjoyable. Then naturally, he won the the Irish PGA. He almost felt he had to ensure it since they set it up for him. Uh, I think he won it in a playoff. Uh, but the day we saw him, it was really, it was really kind of pleasant day. You were up very close to him. Uh, you could see how kind of fit he was. Do you know what I mean? He looked, he looked really impressive. Um, and he was, he was just really good. So, uh, you know, I always think like, you know, he, we were there just before he, uh, he walked into the, walked through the door into immortality. Uh, we, we got to see Corey, you know. Brilliant. Now, oh, they're, they're wonderful picks. Declan, uh, just to run people through them again, FAI Cup semi-final 1974, Mick O'Brien breaking the uh, the crossbar twice, the Athlone Town goalkeeper in that 5-0 defeat to Finn Harps. You had the late turn races in the mid-70s in East Meath. You had the Phoenix Park races in the late 80s as well. Uh, and the famous uh, late great Terry Rogers, the bookmaker as well. Uh, Ireland's win over Spain at Lansdowne in uh, 1989, that 1-0 uh, win. And Steve Staunton's performance that day in particular on Patrick Harrington, winning the Irish PGA Championship at European Club in 2007, a week before Carnoustie. Declan, great picks. Thanks a million for those. Uh, I know it's not easy to, to narrow them down, but uh, fair play. OK, thanks. Bye. Great stuff, Declan Lynch there. The Sunday Independent Sports Writer, that is your latest episode of You Had to Be There. So it's one of those you had to be there moments. You had to be there. It subsequently genuinely did change everything about my life. You had to be there.